ladies, gentlemen, please take your seats. The spotlight is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Season 4 of the Mystery Matt Spotlight Podcast. I'm Mystery Matt. And this evening, as we have for the past other seasons, uh, other two seasons, I believe, uh, started off with a true crime story. And this one is a currently ongoing true crime story. Blah, 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 blah. Gotta love flubs right at the starting, eh? So We've been out of practice for a couple weeks. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, and... We're falling asleep already. We're not used to staying up. We're getting old. Anyways, uh, Sarah, what kind of uh, true crime story do you have for us tonight? Well, tonight we're going to be covering the Delphi murders in Delphi, Indiana. Um, not a lot of Canadians, I think, are aware of this case. I People have asked me what case we were covering next, and I'd say this one, and they're like, oh, I've never heard of that one. Um, I heard about it through, um, I think, the first time I saw anything about it was on people magazine investigates on the discovery plus app um and it caught my attention right away and then on my other crime pod that i love uh crime weekly with stephanie um harlow and derek lavasser covered it and i think three or four parts i'm not sure and they did such a great job but you really got to know the victims and their families in particular through them and it just kind of got to me and i'm like you know what i want to cover this so that our listeners who are Canadian and a little bit more international, because I think we have a few international, do we not? Um, well, according to the little analytics that I get, yeah, we have a little bit of everybody from all around the world. So, um, anyway, so our goal here is to bring this information about this ongoing case forward to even more international listeners, because you never know, the person who, um, if might be of interest could have crossed over into Canada and maybe somebody here knows him. You know, so what we will be sharing is some audio. And then after the podcast is posted, where I will post on Facebook links to video and audio, as well as pictures of proposed suspects, um, the sketches that were released, um, stills, pictures of the two victims, and just a bunch of other stuff for people to look at. And you're going to put all this on? I'll put that all on the Mystery Matt fan page on Facebook, and I'll link it also in Twitter. For everybody to see, as well as my personal Instagram. Well, just try not to go to Facebook jail for, you know, images or such that you might get get in trouble for. Well, I'm hoping most of the images are public because of the fact of how the police want this case publicized. Some of the images I've gotten from the sister's Twitter page, because she's really pushing hard for this case to be solved, as one would of, as a victim family member. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure it'll be fine. So, when exactly did all this first start, though? Well, we're going to get there. First, we're going to introduce you to the victims. And as always on my True true Crime Cast podcast, I have my partner in crime telling. Huh. See what I did there? Um, Kelly. And Kelly is going to start it off by telling you about one of the victims, Abigail Williams. So, Abigail Williams was 13 years old at the time of her death. Uh, Her mother, Anna Williams, was a single mother 
and she worked as a waitress. Fine, don't say hi, Kelly. Just get, oh. just jump right into it. Hold listen, on, I got something listen. to read. I've had a busy day, and I'm tired. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mystery Matt Spotlight Podcast. Oh, wait, you already did that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you just had to say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump in. <laughs> so, as I was saying... Um, Abigail's mother was Anna Williams. She was a single mother who worked as a waitress, and she had Abby when she was 19 years old. Uh, her grandmother, who was Anna's mother, was Diane Erskine. Grandfather, Eric Erskine. Her uncle, David Erskine. Abby was in the 8th grade, and she was um, a kind, considerate, amazing, fierce, determined inquisitive and goofy kid she loved doing arts and crafts and she would stick up for her friends and anyone else she felt like she needed to stand up for she played the saxophone and was planning to try out for softball she loved butterflies and she was very quiet until she got to know you and then she was an outgoing person she was in the process of learning how to play the keyboard she loved the outdoors and was curious about bugs and loved catching different bugs, frogs, toads, and salamanders. Oh, good times. And her best friend was Liberty, also known as Libby German. She was 14 years of age. Um, her mother was Carrie Timmons. Her father was Derek German. She had a sister named Kelsey German. And her grandparents were Becky and Mike Patty. Um Kelsey and Libby were actually under the guardianship of their grandparents, Becky and Mike, and their father, Derek, lived in the same house with them in Delphi, Indiana, and their mother, Carrie, lived in Kentucky, and I believe she was just going through a divorce at this time. Um, Libby was friends with everybody. She, too, was also in the eighth grade, along with Lib with Abby. Um, she was loud and outspoken. She always wanted to make people laugh. She was fun, brave, but she was afraid of the dark at the same time. She was always complimenting others. And liked to tease and have fun, always on the go, and always had some kind of project going. Um, her grandfather had um, described that she would start one project. As soon as she finished it, she would start another one. I think at the time of her death, she was starting to refinish a dresser that she had. And she was planning on painting her bedroom and had kind of just finished it. In fact, the paint cans are still where she left them. Wow. Um, she was wise beyond her years and very smart. She was adventurous. She was loving, caring, and happy, and just wanted the most out of life. She would do and try almost anything, no matter what it was. She was an independent, free spirit. She, too, played the saxophone. She loved photography. And she played volleyball and softball, which is why Abby was trying out for the softball team, so she could play on the same team as Libby. So... Delphi, Indiana is a small town. It was basically plated in 1828, and the name was taken from an ancient city in Greece. Um, Delphi is known for local heritage centers on the Wabash and Erie Canal, a canal and tow path that once belonged together or bound together northern and northern central and southern Indiana. Now, anybody who knows us, we're from Hamilton, right? So Delphi has a total area of 7.03 kilometers squared, where Hamilton is 1,138.11 kilometers squared. So that just tells you how small this town is. Um, and as of 2020, they had a population of 2,961, the city only reaching just a little over 3,000 back in 1980 and again in 2000. Um, some notable people from Delphi was a professional wrestler by the name of Dick the Bruiser, 
and Bob Olinger, who was the last victim of Billy the Kid. Oh. Yeah. So that that gets you to know the the two young girls who were unfortunately the victims in this case. Um just had their life taken from them all of a sudden for no reason. And how old were they, did you say? Um, Abby was thirteen and Libby was fourteen. So yeah. Still yeah. kids. Still kids. Still kids. <gasps> um, so Kelly, wanna start the timeline? Yeah, I also just want to say, like, I think it's really important to recognize that these kids were people that had, like, important milestones going on. They had specific personality traits, which is why we like to highlight these kinds of things at the beginning of the podcast um, every time we do a true crime thing. Um, Yes, and it's important to understand like who they were as people and just knowing their interests and everything. It really helps you get a grasp on what they were going through and dealing with and whatever. Just the gravity of it all and everything. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So the night before uh, Sunday, February 12th, 2017, Libby and Abby had a sleepover because there was no school the next day. It uh, had been unseasonably mild with less snow days, so the school board gave the students the day off. They stayed up late, eating pizza, and watching movies. The next morning, uh, February 13th, at 10 a.m., the girls got up and had Derek make them pancakes for breakfast. Libby and Abby helped Libby's grandmother, Becky, do some filing for Becky's work. Libby asks her sister, Kelsey, if she wanted to go to the... Monin, okay go to the Monin high bridge but kelsey had plans with her boyfriend chase and then had to work kelsey felt bad for saying no so she told libby that if their grandmother said it was all right and the girls had a ride home that she would drop them off becky gives her permission as long as abby's mother anna gave her okay libby asks her father if he could pick them up and he said yes that he would pick them up on his way home from work and that he would call Libby on his way back so they could meet him in the parking lot. The Monin High Bridge is located at the end of Delphi's historic train trail system, built in the 1890s and is over 800 feet long and sits 70 feet above Deer Creek. Trains have stopped using the bridge back in the 1980s. It's very old, rickety, and dilapidated. People are not supposed to be on it, but they do all the time. And I can say when I was a kid, I used to hang out on like train tracks and bridges all the time. So the, totally the, understand the, the it, appeal yeah. there. Absolutely. In Owen Sound, we actually used to have an old train bridge that was going across, but they hadn't used it in forever. Yeah. So eventually it became dilapidated and there was like holes in it. And it wasn't meant for pedestrians at all because it was just the rail ties that were going across, right? So, yeah, yeah, I almost know exactly the type of bridge you guys are talking about. Yeah, it sounds like you had something very similar. Yeah. When you were yeah, growing up. Yeah, they tore it down, thank God, because, yeah, it was it was bad news. Yeah, you just think about all the dangerous things you did as a kid. Wonder how you're still here. <laughs> uh, so there's various uh, platforms out at the sides and missing railroad ties. Obviously, it's very dangerous. Um, some people cross it by crawling. Others carefully walk across the bridge to the other side. There is nothing but woods on the far end. There's not even any trails. 
So basically, you get to the other side, and then you have to turn around and cross the bridge back to the south side. Libby has crossed this bridge a few times before, but Abby has never done it. Yeah, I will, I will post the visual of this bridge, but first, I don't think, Matt's not ever seen the bridge. Have you seen it? Yeah. No. What did you cross that? Matthew. That looks to be a little bit taller than the ones that we were going across, yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah, you would not catch me on that. No. I no, mean, I, I may so. have done a lot of stupid stuff as a kid, but that was one thing that I was like, nope, that's a nope, you know? So, <coughs> excuse me. But yeah, it took Abby some courage to to cross that apparently because I mean she had wanted to before, but it was one of those things where a her mom didn't really want her to cross it, and b she was also kind of trepidatious about it. You know, like it was something she really needed to pontificate. So yes, I just pulled a big word out of my butt. I'm sorry. <laughs> scared the Kelly unit. <laughs> what? Oh, trepidatious and pontificate. It's like, wow, big word time. I'm sorry, I've been listening to Corey Graves' podcast lately, and he says pontificate at least three times per podcast, and it was stuck in my head. Um, So that day, Kelsey dropped them off at the trail entrance at about 1.40 p.m., and we're saying times because the times actually are important in this part. Um, So at 1.40, Kelsey dropped the girls off at the trail entrance and makes the girls take sweaters. Abby borrowed one of Kelsey's. The parking lot was not busy. It was pretty empty. And Kelsey tells Libby that she loves her. At approximately 2.05 p.m., Libby posts a black and white photo of just the Mona and Highbridge onto Snapchat. And approximately two minutes later, at 2.07 p.m., Libby posts another picture, but this time of Abby crossing the bridge as well on Snapchat. I just want to clarify. She posted it to her stories on Snapchat? Yeah. So how they got the time for these Snapchat photos is that after the girls went missing one of their friends was looking at the, the their snapchat or libby's snapchat because i don't think abby had one because abby didn't have a phone um one of their friends was looking at the snapchat and they took a screenshot of it at around 407 and it said posted two hours ago so that's why we say approximately 205 and 207 so that's how they've got that timeline set up yeah and plus it makes sense as we get further down the line you'll realize um that the when we get into talking about evidence um, the timeline is extremely important in that 140 to 330 um, area. Window. Yeah. Okay, so at 3.14 p.m., Derek calls Libby's phone, but sh- there's no answer. At 3.30, Derek arrives <sighs> at the trail, calls again, and there's still no answer. So he calls his mother, Becky, and Becky and Libby's aunt, Tara, try calling Libby, but neither can get an answer. So Becky calls her husband, Mike, while he's at work, and then she and Tara drive the two different routes the girls would have to take to get home, And then, they, but they arrived at the trail with no luck. At 4.15, Becky calls Kelsey. At 4.30, Kelsey arrives at the trail, tries calling her mother, Carrie, who lives in Kentucky, to ask if she heard from Libby. And I believe Carrie's response was a laugh and saying, no, like, why would she, right? Yeah. It's a different state altogether. So between 5 and 5.30, Becky was trying to call Abby's mother, Anna, while she, who was at work at the time, and eventually got a hold of her. And then Anna called her mom, Diane Erskine. At 5.20, Becky calls the police, and Mike Patty arrives. At 5.30, police and fire arrive to the, to the trail and helps begin the search for the, the girls. 
They search the trails, the town, they knock on doors, and more and more people join the search. Posts were made onto social media. So on Tuesday, February 14th, 2017, at 12 a.m., police put the search on hold and go back to the station to work from there. The families of Abby and Libby and friends, as well as the townspeople, continued to search. At 2 a.m., Sheriff Toby Lazenby... At 2 a.m., Sheriff Tobe Lazenby sees a ping from Libby's phone off a cell tower close to the Monon High Bridge area. 2.30 a.m., police and fire resume their search for the girls with no avail. At 4.30 a.m., they put the search on hold again with plans to resume later on in the morning. At 7.30 a.m., 400 to 500 searchers meet at the fire department. People signed in and were assigned to search groups to begin a more efficient grid search of the trail system. At 8 a.m., the search began. At one point, a searcher from a group who was searching in an, searching an area next to the area that Kelsey's group was searching yelled out to Kelsey about what kind of shoes the girls were wearing. She yelled back, Black and white Nikes. The shoe description matched the shoe found by the searcher. Uh-oh. At 12.15 p.m., the bodies of Abigail Williams and Liberty German were discovered. The bodies were found in a hidden valley inside the woods, about a quarter mile away from the bridge. The shoe was found on the south side, which would be at the end of the bridge side. The bodies were discovered on the south side, across the creek, on the private property of a Delphi resident. About 50 feet from the creek. Yeah, I was like, does that make sense? (laughs) Uh, The police have never publicized the condition of the girls' remains or any of the crime scene details. They have also kept their cause of death a secret, which is interesting. Yeah. After the families were notified, the police held a brief (laughs) press conference to announce only two bodies were found and to draw their own conclusions regarding community safety. Autopsies were performed in Indiana. (laughs) In what? Terre Haute. Terre Haute, Indiana? Terre Haute. Terre Haute. (laughs) She's like, no, I'm out. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Matt's making us record this when I should have been in bed already. Hey, hey, you had months worth of heads up. Well, since the last one. Well, that's when Sarah started. (laughs) I know, I've already started the next. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kelly's behind. <laughs> Kelly's busy though. Uh, autopsies. Autopsies were performed in Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> you should do like just a straight up bloopers episode. It'd be longer than a normal episode, I, I think. <laughs> like one per season. See, the problem is, I'd never save it. Oh, you should. Like, I usually end up overriding the original That should be, like, something you start this season. It would be funny. And then end season. There's your season finale. Yeah. Well, well, we'll we'll think about it. We'll see how it goes. Can you imagine how much of it would be... (laughs) 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 Well, I don't take a lot of stuff out. That's true. So, you know, we're... we're, Well, maybe, but then we wouldn't be as hardcore. Yeah, we're kind of hardcore. So where were we? Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre Haute, Indiana. We're in Terre Haute, Indiana. 
uh, where the autopsies were performed, but were sealed and remain that way today. When the bodies were discovered, Kelsey wanted to run across the creek to the girls, but was stopped. Becky Patty was in the parking lot when she saw the coroner's van drive by. Mike Patty was at the fire department and immediately drove to the trail where he met up with Becky. Anna Williams was also at the fire department, and Pastor Todd was the one who took her aside to tell her the news. Carrie Timmons was heading to Delphi when she saw Kelsey's name come up on her phone, but it was her ex-husband, Derek. That was when she knew, but she asked him anyways if they found him, and he said yes. She then asked him if they were alive, and he told her no. So the bodies were found. Yes. Dead. Well, yeah. Um, I found that was actually when I wrote that out and listening to Carrie Timmons talk about that and some of on the Down the Hill podcast that was done by I think oh I can't remember I think it was HLN. Um, that part got to me like just the way she said it, and I'm like oh we got to put that in there because it, it's an impactful statement. Did you find them? Yes. Were they alive? No. And that had to be as a mother one of the hardest things to have to hear, but also one of the hardest questions you had to ask because you kind of already knew the answer. Yeah, you just didn't want to hear it. You know, um, the there is a reason. Well, I'll touch it down on the autopsy thing now. Um, the reason that they didn't release the autopsy and part of the reason why they kept so much of the evidence close to the vest of the um investigation is because it's a natural tactic for police to use in any murder investigation because if you do have a suspect in questioning and you're talking to them and asking them questions, they might reveal something that isn't known to the public and therefore only known to the person who committed the crime as well as the two victims who were in the involved in the crime. Yeah. So they are, they are keeping, a, I mean, more than usual, they're, Indiana State Police are keeping almost everything except for what we discuss later. Yeah. Yeah. So the police knew that they were not experienced enough to handle the case, so Sheriff Toe Blazenby called in the state police and the FBI. They were trying to get a hold of anybody who could help them. So we've already established that the difference between this case and the Jean Bonnet case, these guys knew they didn't have the experience to handle a case of this magnitude and were actually willing to call in help. Whereas we know that the investigation on the Jean Bonnet Ramsey case was complete fucked up because they would not ask for help. And by the time they needed it, it was too late. They screwed everything up. Okay, so Wednesday, February 15th, 2017, the police call a more formal press conference. Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter and Police Spokesperson Sergeant Kim Riley informed the public that Abby and Libby were the two victims they recovered the day before. They are not going to rest until they solve this. They then release a blurry photo of a man on the Monon High Bridge wearing jeans, a dark blue coat, and a page boy style cap. They ask if anyone knows who this might be and to please let them know as he might be a witness. Speculation around town went crazy as to where the police got this photo. Most people were sure that it had to be a hunter who must have set up a trail cam. What the public did not know at this time was that it was a screenshot taken from a video on Libby's cell phone. On Thursday, February 16th, 2017, a search warrant was executed on a house just on the outskirts of town based on a tip they received. They removed a few boxes and searched the field next to the house. Nothing came from this. As the photos of the man on the bridge circulated, everyone started calling him Bridge Guy. So you'll hear us refer to him probably as Bridge Guy from now on, just to keep it simple. 
So on February 22nd, 2017, Superintendent Doug Carter held another press conference. He said the man is living among them, praises all of the law enforcement agencies on working together and so hard on this case. He also sends his apologies and sympathies to the families. He shows the picture of Bridge Guy again, that they need the public's help to call in with any tip, no matter how minute they might think it is, because it might be the one the police needs. And he asks, who's next? Also, they also release a clip of the audio of the person of interest saying, down the hill. I should probably turn my phone up a little louder. So that's that's the audio that they released. Personally, I think it would be hard to get much from that. Yeah, because one, they re-recorded it off of a recording. Yes, basically. Now we're recording off of you playing it, so the distortion on here will be so bad it it wouldn't be recognizable for one of our fans. I wouldn't think. So, yeah, so that's why I'm going to just post the... Well, it's this was taken from Inside Edition because that's the closest thing I could find to that first audio clip because there's a second one coming up. Yeah. So I will post that, and it's around the 10-second the mark into the thing where they show the, they play the audio clip. So I will post that on the Mystery Map fan page. So you didn't have the clip turned up all the way, but you had the fart sound effect blaring earlier. <laughs> Well, I, I think I turned it down after that. Oh, I see. On March 1st, 2017, NFL punter Pat McAfee and Indiana Colts owner donate $200,000 to the re- to the reward for information leading to an arrest on the Abby Libby murder. On July 17th, 2017, uh, the first composite of Bridge Guy is released to the public. He's a white male, 40s or, over, 40s or older, goatee, mid-length hair, possibly reddish-brown, I'm wearing a page boy hat. What's a page boy hat? Um, it's like a cap that kind of, you know, like a paper boy would wear back in the 40s and 50s. Kind of has a wide brim, but is all like the hat that Grandpa Earls used to wear. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Did you know if you unclip those, it turns into Mario's hat? Just saying. Yeah. Well, well, that's there you go. Yeah, that's a page boy hat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, my grandfather had a bunch of those. So did my grandfather, but his were all child size because he had a small head. Oh, yeah. No. I love you, Grandpa. <laughs> is, is there podcasts in heaven? Oh, well, there you go. So the sketch was based on tips from possible witnesses. Uh, Pastor Todd said the sketch looks like half the white males in the county, so it was going to be difficult to figure out who it was. Sheriff Tobe Lazenby said a lot of men who look like the sketch have just shown up to clear their name and volunteeringly gave DNA samples. I think that's a very honorable thing to do. Um, having people who's like, oh, wow, I kind of look like this sketch, but I know I didn't do it. So I think that shows how big this community came together for this case, saying, I'm going to go make sure they know it's not me. I'm going to give them stuff that they can eliminate. Here's my DNA. I did not do this suspect eliminated right makes things go a little quicker one would hope right you you would hope yeah so the first suspect name that popped up was daniel j nations of around september of 2017 um daniel j nations was arrested in colorado and charged with (laughs) this is so stupid charged with threatening cyclists with a hatchet when they'd whiz by his campsite while his kids were sleeping he was sentenced to three years probation for this 
how does he connect? Well, apparently he was in Indiana in February 2017 and is a registered sex offender. And he was transferred back to Indiana in January of 2018 on an outstanding warrant for failure to register as a sex offender. The thing is, he apparently has an alibi, and that was that he was at a doctor's appointment with his wife for her ultrasound. And that's pretty easy to clarify. Yeah. Because yeah, they'd, they'd have that. Records of it. There would be records of it. Um, but he was still named as a suspect, but I think he was on the short list. Want me just to do this next one? Because I have fun with this one. Um, this guy wasn't an official suspect, but I found it hanky at, at first. Excuse me. Ron Logan was a 77-year-old man, and he owned the property that Abby and Libby were found on. He kind of put himself in jail, actually, because he told the police he was out at the dump that day, and he was driving without a license and was on probation since 2014 on a driving while intoxicated conviction. He was seen at the dump, but also in a restaurant in Tippecanoe County drinking alcohol, violating his probation. Logan faced up to four years in prison, but got home detention instead. So, the reason I put that in there, A, it's entertaining as hell, because basically he's got the best alibi ever. He just put himself in jail. He got himself convicted because he violated probation just to prove he didn't kill these girls. Yeah, he's like, I didn't kill them, (coughs) but I did fuck up. You know, like, he's like, I fucked up so bad that I was driving when I wasn't allowed to. I was drinking when I wasn't allowed to. And... Yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was drinking. I wasn't supposed to, but I know I didn't kill these girls. Oh, guess what? We're charging you because you just broke probation. I think that is probably the most solid alibi you could give. I'll take jail time for this because just to prove I didn't do that. Yeah, well. You know, I don't know if that goes on the world's stupidest criminals list or not. I'm not sure where it falls on any list. Yeah, but I had to put that in there just because it, it slightly amused me, but. Because the first time I heard that, it was found on a private property. I'm like, oh, that guy has to be a suspect. So that's why I put it in. I mean, he wasn't listed officially as one. But to me, it was just like, oh, well, that would be the honest to God spot where you would go thinking, oh, these guys, the girls were found on a private property in an area that would have to be well known, but not easily accessible. Who would know that? The property owner, right? So. So where are we in the timeline? We about half? Um... Getting there, yeah. Okay, because you're at 31 minutes. Oh, okay. If you're trying to get even We'll go for the full hour. For the first episode? Yeah, I think so. Only one episode, or are we doing two? We're doing two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so Kelly's going to take over. So in late 2017, the police admit that they have more audio, but they don't release it. In May 2018, Sergeant Coleman says that they will not confirm or deny if they have DNA. And then our next update isn't until November 21st, 2018. Thomas Bruce, a 53-year-old, was arrested and charged with 17 criminal counts, including first-degree murder, sodomy, and kidnapping. He allegedly entered a Catholic supply store, forced three female employees to the back room, where he ordered them to strip naked and perform sex acts. One woman refused, and he allegedly shot her in the head. He was a former pastor, and the crime was completed in broad daylight. He's five foot seven to five foot nine, which is same as uh, the police description, and he wore a similar hat and blue jacket during the attack. Bruce tweeted at a television and radio show host who was covering the Delphi murders on the day the girls' bodies were found. Also, he posted a cryptic Facebook photo of two nickels on a milk bottle cap. The first nickel read Liberty 2017. 
There are no concrete links to Bruce being in Indiana. He does look like the first sketch that was released. Both crimes occurred in the afternoon on a Monday and just before a holiday. And obviously he's been convicted of controlling multiple female victims. On January 8th, 2019, Charles Eldridge becomes the suspect. He is arrested in Union City, Indiana, on charges of child molestation and child solicitation. He also resembled the first sketch that was released. The 46-year-old was arrested after having a sexual conversation with a person. He thought this person was a 13-year-old girl, but was actually a male undercover detective. Eldridge arranged to meet up with the girl to have sex, and when he arrived, he was arrested. He had a reputation as a weirdo, liked to hang out in the woods. He had a violent streak, and he was obsessed with guns. He was a pedophile and had engaged in sex acts with a 13-year-old girl. He posted a lot online about the Delphi murders, um, and he posted public pleas and a story about potential DNA evidence. Union City is 186 kilometers or two hours and 38, sorry, two hours and 28 minutes away from Delphi. He also posted gruesome pictures on his social media of a body being feasted on by vultures. Pictures of bloody knives, tools, bone saws, all on a metal worktop. There's no word as of right now if he's been cleared. Interesting. So they... Might have a couple suspects going on. Sounds like it. So on April 22nd, 2019, Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter calls a huge press conference. Anyone in attending were told to sign in and please give an address. The Indiana State Police were releasing more information as they need the public's help. First, they asked for help to identify the driver of a vehicle that was parked in the abandoned CPS parking lot between 12 p.m. and 5 p.m. on February 13th, 2017. That is all Carter says about it. He does not release any descriptions, not even a, a, a basic description of the maker model of the car. Um, so to me, that's not really going to help much. You could at least say a red car parked in this parking lot or a blue car or a blue minivan or something, you know, something basic you could release. Um, secondly, that they were going to be releasing additional audio and Carter stresses that the voice is the same man from the first audio and as well as the video, and that there's only one voice. They play the new audio, and it says, Guys, down the hill. So it's on a loop, obviously. Yeah, it's really distorted, though. So God, who knows? Maybe with my editing, I can clean up a bit of it. Yeah, maybe. So all they basically did was give us one extra word. They do not comment whether or not it, if there was more after he says guys or not. Nor does he comment if that is the exact order of words used. Because we don't know if guys came maybe after down the hill or it was before. And if there was stuff in between because it sounded like there was like a break before he says down the hill. The third piece of evidence they want to release to have public help them was is that Carter announces that they are releasing part of the video recovered from Liberty German's phone of Bridge Guy walking on the bridge. Carter asks or tells the public to watch his mannerisms as he walks. Do you recognize his walk or the way he looks while walking? They show the video and it's literally just three seconds long of one and a half step on a loop. 
totally useless if you ask me. Yeah, if if yeah, if it's yeah. only a step and a half, that's not going to give you much. That's not going to give you a sway. That's not going to no. give you a, a bounce. That's so they yeah. could have released a little bit more, I think, without compromising the rest of the video. Um, the fourth that fourth thing that Carter brings up is a new sketch. This was actually the first sketch done, and that the the sketch that they released originally was actually a second sketch. So. Why they would release the second sketch first and not this first sketch originally? Well, probably because they thought maybe in a different direction at the time, you know? To me, it's it's wasting time, right? But anyways, this sketch is so very different from the one released two years before. Carter says this sketch is based on eyewitnesses. The suspect is between 18 and 40 years old, but may look younger. I don't even know what that means. May look younger. Yeah, but also 18 to 40 years old. That's a huge window. 18 to 40? Yeah, and or may look younger. So, the differences, right? So, the sketch in 2017, he was 40 or older. Unkept hair, round face, unshaven and stubbly, possibly a goatee. The sketch in 2019 was 18 to 40, short, curly hair, oval or long, longer, thinner face, and clean shaven. That's like night and day almost. Yeah, it is. So we will post both those sketches for everybody to see. Um, Carter goes on to say that they have likely interviewed someone or interviewed him or someone close to him. They know that it's all about power to him, and Carter calls him a coward. He asks the media to please leave the families alone so they can process this. He doesn't take questions. The family in the Down the Hill podcast um, were visibly frustrated at this point, and I don't blame them. Becky Patty said that they were pushing that first sketch for two years. So that's wasting time. If that wasn't the sketch that they want out there, she, they, their, their whole family was pushing that for two years. Yeah. You know, um, Mike Patty said that the guy, the word guys sounded friendly, but down the hill was in order. And Diane Erskine, Abby's grandmother, brings up a very good point. Um, she was shocked at how different the newly released sketches were and, and thinks maybe there were two people involved. Which is an interesting theory, if you ask me. So, Libby and Abby's friend Erica said that people at school started to throw other students' names out there to the police because they looked like the latest sketch that was released. Carter also alluded to in the press conference that this person is from Delphi currently or previously, or he visits regularly or works in Delphi. Also says, and I quote, to the killer who may be in this room, we believe you are hiding in plain sight, unquote. Carter always seems to believe the person is in the room, and if he's so sure that they are, they are, then maybe they should test this theory. There are different ways to do this. At every press conference, you should have a, a deputy or something taking photos of the room, of everybody in the room, as you know, so that they can compare it to future um, press conferences or you know, when they were at the scene, they should have made sure that they took pictures of everybody who was helping the search. Um, and if you've already interviewed him, then bring all the guys in that so-called age range back in for an interview, record them, and maybe the technology can match their voice to the audio recordings you have as well. But And also, do they look like the sketch? That's just a thought. That's how I would do it. And I'll read this one for you, Kelly, because this one was confusing. So on August 15th, 2020... No, I didn't mean that in a bad way. It's just that I wasn't sure I even wanted this in there. Allegedly, Anna Williams' brother, David Erskine's text messages got leaked. In these text conversations, it alludes to how the girls were found, what the condition of the bodies were, whether they had been sexually assaulted or not. 
Um, it indicates that David Erskine and his brother-in-law, um, not Anna's husband, but their other sisters, um, were the ones that found the girls. Um, says everything was over by 3.30. Also said whoever did this targeted Libby. So these are just speculations, basically. I'm not going to read anything that's in these, these uh, text messages because we have not had any verification whether these are true or not. If, if they were somebody just writing out shit to put on the internet. Yeah, don't need to spread false information. Right. And to I muddy the waters. Yeah. Right? And I'm only mentioning that because it's like if they are part of if they are verified or they are true, then people can look them up. Yeah. Themselves. You can do it, Kelly. I have faith in you. Am I smart enough to cover this one? Yeah, yeah. I just wasn't sure I wanted to cover that one. <laughs> you are blonde. I am blonde. Yeah. Okay. Um, in 2020, ISP Doug Carter and Mike Patty are working together, and not only have they got respect for each other, but they've developed a friendship. On April 27th, 2021, 42-year-old James Brian Chadwell II, James Brian Chadwell II, I don't know, but it sounds very fancy. Um, yeah, fuck this guy. Um... He was arrested after a nine-year-old girl was found naked and covered in dog bites. He had a very extensive rap sheet that goes back to January 2000. Police interrupted an assault on Chadwell's nine-year-old victim when they knocked on his door while canvassing the area for the missing girl. He locked her in the basement, told the police uh, she had been there to pet his dog earlier, but had left. They returned later with the search warrant and found the girl and arrested Chadwell. Chadwell was charged with kidnapping, criminal confinement, assault, attempted murder, and child molestation. He pled guilty in October 2021. He will not be eligible for parole until 2091? 2091? Yes. He has not been cleared on the Delphi case and is seriously being looked into by the Carroll County Sheriff's Department. I just gotta say, like... What kind of sentence is that? Because usually it's like 25 to life, right? Yeah, I don't know. I... So, like, that would only take you to, you know, 47, not 90-something. Like, how old was that guy? Uh, He's not even going to live half that long. No. Guess not. Get comfy. Good fucking riddance. Yeah, Seriously. like. I was going to say, I hope the Wi-Fi is good, but I actually don't. No, you know, fuck that guy. I hope he rots and stares at a wall all day. Um, you know, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but like you just know by that guy's oh, that, name that he's an asshole. Yeah, but that's not the book by the cover. He's been convicted, like like he had his day in court. Know. You know that that's know. no, they got the full but I'm story just saying, on that like, guy. Sometimes you can just tell when somebody's not a good person, right? Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, He's a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> On December 9th, 2021, police uncovered a profile of Anthony Schatz while investigating leads into Abby and Libby's murder. They were looking for anyone who might have had contact with Anthony underscore Schatz from 2016 to 2017. No idea if he might have any connection to the Delphi case, as that remains unclear. At this point. In the timeline at this point. The profile belongs to a 27-year-old Keegan Anthony Klein of Peru, Indiana. 
40 minutes east of Delphi. Klein set up a fake account using photos of an unknown male model. He's awaiting trial for 30 alleged crimes, including child exploitation, possession of child pornography, child solicitation for sexual intercourse, and obstruction of justice. So in looking for one sicko, they keep finding other sickos? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you're obviously going to look at somebody somebody who kills a child isn't going to be just your normal everyday serial killer. They're going to be doing it for some kind of sexual gratification in some sort. Whether it's the crime itself, the manner of death would tell you whether or not it was a replacement for a sex act. Or if there was a different, if there was a sexual aspect to that crime that we don't know about because we clearly don't, um, then it's going to be a sexual um, motivation. It's a sexually motivated crime no matter what because people don't just kill children randomly for no reason. I mean, parents do it for um, freedom. uh, Insurance. Insurance. But a lot of the times, like when you look at people like Diane Downs or Susan Smith, they'll kill their kids because they want freedom to go out and date other people or you look at casey anthony who was not convicted but should have been ow lucy um they did it for because they didn't want their children anymore because it was interfering in their private life or their personal life their nightlife so to speak um some do it for other men because they they don't want children so they'll kill their children and because that's what that that's what they feel like they're more important this was not that case this was not a parental um, homicide against their children. Yeah. The the families, by the way, have it never was a been. Sicko in the woods. Yeah, the families have never been um, suspects, and I don't believe that they were at all. Any times, I believe they all had perfectly solid alibis. So, I, which is great because I hate it when I find out that the families were involved. It it just makes things twenty times worse. So, anybody out there, nobody in the families of these two girls were involved. Okay, please leave them alone. Um. So, in 2021... Well, leave technically all these people alone because so far no one's been convicted for right. this one. Right, exactly, you know? We're, we're here to give the information. We're not here to Except encourage people to... Except for the guy who's not getting out until the next 94, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. So, the families of Abby and Libby are developing a memorial park in honor of their girls. The park will include three ball fields, an amphitheater, and playgrounds. The construction began in 2019 and is 20 acres. NBA All-Star 2021 host committee will be awarding a $50,000 All-Star Legacy Grant to help with the construction. Okay, so I kind of got a thing with that. What? So in Memorial, they're going to build a place for children to play, which is going to be a place for predators to prey. How's that different from any other playground? I think the money should go into a better way to catch these freaks before before it happens instead of making a place where they can go and look at a menu um i i see where you're coming from yes you see what i mean like yes it's good to give back to the community yes it's good to give things for kids to play on i i I like all of that but when you look at the financial part of it we could do better but i think this would also be a way to bring in more money with the three baseball fields you could run a baseball tournament in their memory and bring in donations and money that way uh, you could put on concerts in the amphitheater to bring in money to help pay for, um, like, everything. Like, to help donate money to the causes and stuff. Kelly's got something to wait uh, I guess so, but the property had to be purchased initially. 
I also think it's like a way for them to memorialize their children, right? As children, like that they. Oh, well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they enjoyed to, they enjoyed playing and looking for bugs and. Yeah, like all the things that they were interested in, this is a way for them to have that in one centralized location. Yeah. You know, and and it, because now these girls are forever going to be 13 and 14 year old girls. They're never going to be um, 20 years old. They're never going to marry. They're never going to have children. And these families are going to miss out on that. And that's the tragedy here. You know, that's that these girls were taken way too soon. We're at 50 minutes. Did you want to do the halftime or? No, we're wrapping it up. We're wrapping okay. it up. Cool, so, cool, cool, cool. Um, February 10th, 2022, the police release a bulletin saying they are still very dedicated to this case and have a multi-jurisdictional team working the case every day, consisting of two Carroll County detectives, two Indiana State police detectives, and other law enforcement officers. They insist... Oh, excuse me. They insist that the case is still active and has not gone cold, and they continue to encourage the public to keep submitting valid and valuable information. You want me just to keep going? Okay. Um, on February 11, 2022, the FBI announced that they are rejoining the law enforcement agencies and working the case in partners up to mark the fifth anniversary of this case. And on March 16, 2022, the FBI removed some of the information on the FBI posters. They remove height, weight, and age of the suspect. This request came to remove that information from the Indiana State Police. But the reason for this removal was that the police did not want the public to focus on those particular descriptives as it would discourage tips from coming in simply because a person doesn't directly fit those. They want the public to focus on the photo of the man, the voice recording, and that second release sketch. On March 24, 2022, a transcript of a police interview was accidentally released. No arrests have been made yet. But it has become clear that Keegan Anthony Klein, who went under the username Anthony Schatz and used a fake photo or used a photo of an unknown young male model, had been contact had been in contact with Liberty German the day before the murders. In these transcripts, Klein admitted that he was talking to Libby through social media through his Anthony Schatz account. Um, it was a fake profile that he would use to solicit new photos of underage girls. And as mentioned before, Klein was arrested in 2020 and charged with possession of child pornography and other disgusting charges related to exploiting children. These transcripts were accidentally um, posted on a special legal document site, but were quickly removed, but not fast enough, clearly. Um, Klein repeatedly denies killing Libby and Abby, says it was a coincidence that he talked to her. According to the transcripts, Klein failed a polygraph, then deleted his Snapchat and Instagram accounts. The transcripts revealed two different language patterns on the Snapchat accounts, leading the police to believe that two people had access to these accounts. And that is where the case is at currently. I just want to make a correction as I'm actually listening to it. Um, from now on, any child abuse things, let's refer it to it as um, child sexual abuse material is child pornography implies that there's something sexual about it when there's not. Um, that's the proper term. Okay. Just to, sorry. Wait, I'm confused now. No, I know. I know. There is kind of an outdated term and I think it's, um, kind of, 
Yeah, they shouldn't be. It's pretty inappropriate if you think about it. It CSAM is the term that is wait, like, widely wait, wait, accepted. What what is it? CSAM, child sexual abuse material. Because the term pornography is like associated with pornography isn't bad, right? Not all pornography. I would say pornography isn't bad as a general statement. What do you well, mean yeah, but not everybody can afford acting school, Sarah. You mean bad pornography like what Matt's saying? No, no, no. <laughs> bad acting school. No, I'm saying that pornography is a term that's been used for generations in describing... Ow! Fucking cat. Um, in describing um, materials that have been used by other um, killers in the past. And a lot of the times, you'll find the link, and we will probably get to this in the next podcast, where pornography is a common link. And not all of it was your regular everyday pornography. Sometimes it was like violent pornography, um, but it was still considered under the umbrella of pornography. That's what I'm saying. Just because a term's been used for a long time doesn't mean it's right. No, I agree. But pornography, the definition should be to consenting adults. So when we add that there's children, it's sexual abuse material, child sexual abuse material. And then if we add in that it's non-consenting then it's rape bottom line well, like rape. oh yeah yeah oh we're, we're not debating that part yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we're not, we're not so what you're that. saying no, i'm just saying yeah let's use that term i will probably not remember that term just ahead of time i unlikely will remember that term because i've been reading so many old school profiling books that the term pornography is just programmed into me so so the so, problem is is that the word pornography it's between two consenting adults and this kind of material has nothing to do with two consenting adults yeah that's exactly and what that's, she's saying that's the hang up yeah yeah that's that's, oh, that's the okay, hang up it's I just the you. terminology i'm just saying i know you have a lot of listeners um who might have different backgrounds like who knows what people have experienced and i think it's important to be sensitive to that kind of thing oh, sure, so sure. i just wanted to throw that out there so um, we need a new word instead of child porn we need what was it again C-S-A-M, child sexual abuse material. Child sexual. I'm not going to remember that. Just remember C-S-A-M. That's all you have to say. I won't, but I'll ask you again later what it means so that if you only watch episode two, you'll probably know what it is too. Hey, look at that. And that is end of part one. Yeah, we will see you guys in a week. And until then, try to sleep well because not everybody can. <laughs>